So these days, I like to talk about contraception like a contraceptive cafe. There are so many different options on the menu that women can choose from. Good. And it's a very individualised choice. Welcome to Full Circle Women's Health Podcast, a podcast aimed at empowering women to better understand and manage their health. I'm Dominique Baum, a women's health GP, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Preetam Ganu, gynaecologist at Full Circle Obstetrics and Gynaecology. Welcome to Full Circle Family. Full Circle Obstetrics and Gynaecology is a specialized women's health practice in South Australia, providing holistic care to women and girls of all ages and backgrounds in all seasons of their life. Thank you very much for listening to our podcast and giving us feedback. Please rate and review and share with your friends so we can start the conversation about women's health. So today, Preetam, we're going to discuss one of my favorite topics, which is contraception. (laughs) (laughs) So I think this is a really relevant topic for women in all different ages. And it's something that I talk through day in, day out, and I'm sure you're you're the same. So these days, I like to talk about contraception like a contraceptive cafe. There are so many different options on the menu that women can choose from. And it's a very individualized choice. So we're going to run through broadly what those options are, and then we'll break down in a bit more detail the pros and cons of each and how effective each contraception is Mm -hmm. um, and what might lead to a woman choosing one versus the other. Yeah. So just as a bit of an overview, contraception, we talk about barrier contraception like condoms, short-acting contraceptives like the combined oral contraceptive pill or the progesterone-only pill, or in that group I'd probably put the Nuva ring as well, and then long-acting reversible contraceptives or LARCs as we call them, which is the Implanon, the Depot injection, or the IUDs, intrauterine devices, and then permanent contraception, which is having your tubes tied as a woman or vasectomy as a man. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to briefly mention to begin with non-hormonal contraception. So some women do use fertility tracking mm-hmm. or just withdrawal as their contraceptive method. That's not something we're going to go into in detail today because it does have a reasonable failure rate. Mm-hmm. So I think when talking about natural fertility measures, That means a woman tracking her cycle and maybe doing things like checking her basal body temperature. And generally women try to avoid having sex in the fertility window, which is the few days leading to ovulation. But what can make that a bit of a risky contraceptive is that women often don't ovulate exactly on the same day every time. And that Mm -hmm. can vary quite a bit. And sperm can live for up to five days in a woman's reproductive tract. So even if a woman has been quite careful with that timing, there is always a risk of falling pregnant from sperm if that's been in the tract for those few days longer. And so I wouldn't generally recommend that to women, but it is an option. So I thought I'd mention it. And withdrawal is another option, which I wouldn't generally recommend. Withdrawal meaning that uh, the male partner with will will withdraw before ejaculating, uh, which unfortunately only has about 80% effect, efficacy or effectiveness at preventing mm. pregnancy with typical use. So not generally recommended. Yeah. So with the contraception, like quite often I also discuss about non-contraceptive benefits. So mm. even if the main purpose of them to have not to have baby, 
they have a lot of non-contraceptive benefits as well. So when we are making that choice, sometimes we need to look at what are the non-contraceptive benefits we can think of. Definitely. And you, the methods you mentioned, which sometimes also uh, mentioned as a natural method or rhythm method or fertility awareness method, as you said, it's a bit hard to recommend because they are not reliable. Mm. Uh, but just on this note, I just remembered a very funny thing that like, I think most of us get the education about the body changes and everything in school and when my daughter had their information session about puberty and changes then they had this difficult conversation about the sex but they were thinking I don't know how was the class one but they thought it was only to make baby mm -hmm. so it only had once and that's done oh really they thought you have sex once no need to worry about it any other time there's no other benefits to sex <laughs> that's funny and then it took some time to them to understand that no people have sex for pleasure and they have mm. some other thing and so it is really important to understand that yes you, when you want to have baby definitely you want to have sex but as a life is changing and you have a different choices you need to use something for contraception if you don't want to have baby mm. otherwise you will get the accidental pregnancy and the risk with the accidental pregnancies or unwanted pregnancies are much more than risk of using any contraception. That's right. So you, you mentioned a few of the natural methods. Other some non-hormonal contraceptive methods we talk about is called as a barrier method of contraception or typically known as a condoms. That is male condoms. There is option of female condoms or diaphragm as well, which are not very popular and not easily available. Mm. So male condoms, the advantage is they are very cheap. They are easily available. They don't need any prescription, so mm -hmm. you can get it easily. But one of the big advantage with the barrier contraceptive method, I feel, is that they prevent sexually transmitted infection. So those who don't have a very regular partner and have some casual sex, I think that's really important to use, even if they're on the pills or something, it, it is really good to use barrier method of contraception to prevent the sexually transmitted infection. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. It's yeah. great. It's actually the only contraceptive that does prevent STI, sexually transmitted infections. So Yeah. So when we talk about sexually transmitted infections, we are talking about like a chlamydia, gonorrhea, or more serious like HIV and things like that, which can have a long-term effect on your reproductive health. So it is really important to use something to prevent the sexually transmitted diseases. Mm. It will also work as a contraception and prevent pregnancy, but success rate is variable. So mm. we think that if it is used properly, uh, success rate is really good, up to 97%. But having said that, what we say as a common use, the success rate is about 80-85%. Mm, so there is a, a pretty high risk of pregnancy each year, if you I think know. 15 to 20% risk of pregnancy. Yeah, that's it is quite high. And it may be related to improper use or breakage of condoms or some other factors. Mm. Yeah. About the female condoms, like again, as I said, they are not very popular, not easily available, and sometimes need a bit of a training about how to use it. Or diaphragm, if you talk about like our grandma generation, some of the older ladies may have used diaphragm before, but they need a proper training. Mm. Current situations, I think sometimes you need to go to the specialized clinic to order them and they are not as effective. So male condoms are much better uh, than the female condoms. Yeah. Mm. yeah, I think that's a good summary of condoms. Great for STI protection and would recommend all women, particularly with multiple partners, to use condoms regularly. STI protection but if being used alone for pregnancy prevention it does have a reasonable failure rate so 
Let's move on to probably the most commonly prescribed contraceptive in Australia, um, which is the oral contraceptive pill or the combined oral contraceptive pill. So by combined oral contraceptive pill, what I mean is estrogen plus progesterone together, which is um, usually just called the pill. So traditionally, that's what girls would often start in their teenage years, just as the standard. Um, But we do have a lot more options these days that we should routinely be discussing. I guess one of the benefits of the combined oral contraceptive pill is that it gives women the ability to manipulate their cycles. They can have a regular bleed if they want to, or they can choose to skip their period, and there's no health risk to doing that. But like anything, there's pros and cons, and there are some risks to the combined oral contraceptive pill, and it might not be appropriate for all women. The biggest thing that I think would surprise most of our listeners would be that if a woman has an increased risk of blood clots, that we should not be prescribing the combined oral contraceptive pill. And that increased risk of blood clots could just mean if a woman gets migraines with auras, if in fact she's had even one migraine with an aura in the last five years, it's not an option to prescribe the combined oral contraceptive pill. So just running briefly through the what we'd call the contraindications to the pill, big one is migraine with aura, migraine yeah. being that severe headache behind the eye with the light sensitivity and and nausea and vomiting, and an aura being visual changes that tend to come on before the headache. If a woman smokes, particularly over the age of 35, that's another risk factor for a blood clot. If a woman has had previous blood clots, it's certainly something we would avoid, or if there's a strong family history of clotting problems, or if a woman has liver issues, which might mean that she's not able to metabolise the pill well. If a woman is overweight particularly with a BMI of 35 or more. That's another thing that would make us a little bit cautious about using estrogen as an oral contraceptive. And that's because the pill, as in the combined oral contraceptive pill, that does slightly increase the risk of blood clots. um, And we wouldn't want to add that to a known risk and further increase that for a woman. Having said all of that, it is a really popular and effective contraception. So with perfect use, it's 98% effective. With typical use, meaning sometimes you might forget a pill here and there or not absorb it well due to diarrhea or vomiting, it's more like 91% effective, so about a 9% chance of pregnancy in a year. That's right. So that like reminds me about other interesting things. So when I came from India to Australia about 15 years back, I was very surprised that when I went to chemists, that I need to get a script from doctor to go get the really? contraceptive pills. Like, and I thought, why do you need a script? It's the it's my choice. I just want to have pills. But then I realized that I think it's really good that you need to go to the doctor and get the script mm. for the pills because, as you mentioned, then the doctor checks with all the risk factors and reassesses if it is the right choice for you. Mm. And as you mentioned about the relative or absolute contraindications. All the doctors, we, as a doctor, we go through the what we call as a medical eligibility criteria for the contraceptive pills and look at the risk and benefits for them. And as I said to you before, that quite often we look at the non-contraceptive benefits mm-hmm. and the typical non-contraceptive benefits are it helps with the heavy periods, then painful periods. It helps to regulate cycles. But apart from that, sometimes it helps with the acne and hair growth. So it definitely has got a lot of non-contraceptive benefits. And if we look at the history of contraceptive pills, the pills have been in market for almost 50 years. Mm. And 50 years back, what the contraceptive pills we used to get, 
the amount of hormone we have in that was much more compared to what we get today sort of thing. So nowadays it is much lower dose combination. And even with the combination, what we say is like a first generation progesterone or second generation progesterone or third generation progesterone. So we can have a different type of pill for the different benefits. Mm. So it's like uh, sometimes you start with the one pill and it's giving you say breakthrough bleeding. So you need to change to the different pill or if you're having acne, you need a different pill or if you want for painful periods, you can go on something like a Clara or something. So there are di hundred different types of contraceptive pills and we need to find out which one suits to the person in front of us. Mm. And there are many different options. Many of them are available on the PBS, so they don't have to pay much. But there are some contraceptive pills available on the private script, which can sometimes be a bit costly. Mm. But if we look at the non-contraceptive benefits, sometimes it is worth going with that. Other interesting thing I think is the average age to start the contraceptive pills in Australia is almost about 15 years of age. And in young, fit and healthy patients, usually there's no problem to start with the contraceptive pills. But as we get older, as you mentioned, after age of 35, sometimes it is not a good choice. And depending on other risk factors, we may need to look at different contraceptive pills. Mm. Now, I wanted to talk about some other option of contraceptive or hormonal contraceptive to say. Quite often I see women after giving birth to the baby, so their postnatal visit sort of thing. And then we have a discussion about what, like we quite routinely have a discussion about all different options of contraception. But quite often we are looking at contraceptive pills, which are safe doing during breastfeeding. Or in some patients, they have a other risk factors and we don't want to have a contraceptive pills, which contains estrogen. And for those patients, which choose the contraceptive pills, which are called commonly called as a mini pills, mm. but other name for them is called as only progesterone pills. So they work similarly like contraceptive pills. So in roughly in most contraceptive pills, we get like a 21 active pills and seven non-active pills. There are few contraceptive pills where they are different color tablets and there are only four inactive pills. But uh, commonly with the progesterone pills, there are like active pills all along. And patient need to take one tablet at the same time each day because we think that the safety window for progesterone-only pills is very short. Mm. So if they miss the pill, sometimes it will not work as a contraception. And so, that's sort of because of the way they work a bit differently. So the combined oral contraceptive pill is quite good at suppressing ovulation. Mm. And so another group of women who might benefit is women who get a lot of mood issues around ovulation. Whereas the mini pill or progesterone-only pill doesn't have such a strong ovulation suppression and it works more on thickening the mucus plugs that sperm can't get through and thinning the lining of the uterus. So it's really important that women do have a really strict window of when they're taking that. Yeah. And if it's more than three hours later, it would count as a missed pill for most of those progesterone-only pills. Yeah. Other things sometimes with the progesterone-only pills patient may get what we call as a breakthrough bleeding. Mm. So what it means, typically patients will describe me that I get a period like bleeding, but then I get some brownish discharge or sometimes a bit of a spotting in between. Uh, and we think that maybe because the the amount of hormone in the progesterone contraceptive pills is not enough to keep the lining really thin and may need to have a bit of a different combination mm. in those patients. Yeah. 
There is this new progesterone-only pill, which is called Slinda, which is a little bit easier to use. It's not so important to have the exact same timing every day. And actually, women do have a four-day break to have a withdrawal bleed, so it minimises that breakthrough bleeding as a problem. That's not on the PBS yet, so it is a bit more costly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a really good option for women who want an oral option but are not, for whatever reason, able to have oestrogen, either due to a medical problem or perhaps because they are breastfeeding. Having said that, the combined oral contraceptive pill is safe for most women after pregnancy, but it can reduce breast milk supply. So that's the main point of difference there. Yeah, like there are some research suggests that they can start combined contraceptive pills after uh, while they're breastfeeding. Mm. But traditionally, we wait usually for four or five months when they're regularly breastfeeding. But uh, about Slinda, I think Slinda was launched uh, just last year and it's been very popular and patients are quite happy with the tablets because as you mentioned it's only progesterone pills and really good with the cycle control and the bleeding yeah Mm, yeah. i think just in that short acting group of contraceptives we should probably put nuva ring somewhere between that and long acting so the nuva ring is not very popular in australia partly due to cost and partly due to availability it's basically a small rubber ring about the size of a hair tie which can contains estrogen and progesterone, so the same two hormones as Levlin, one of the oral contraceptive pills with estrogen in there. It's a ring which a woman inserts into her vagina and it sits around the cervix um, and you can leave it in there for three weeks and then remove it to have a withdrawal bleed or put a new one in if you don't want to have a withdrawal bleed. So the women who are not able to use the combined oral contraceptive pill due to other medical issues are also not able to use the Nuva ring. But some women who, you know, do not have any contraindications to estrogen prefer this sort of, it's not quite set and forget, but it's not having to remember to take a medication every single day. So it's a good in-between option. Yeah, definitely. And just to add with this short-acting hormonal contraceptive sort of options or to your cafe menu, (laughs) (laughs) some people take what they call as a morning after pill or Mm -hmm. emergency contraception. And that is like sometimes you haven't been on any contraception and then you have a sexual intercourse and then suddenly you feel that you need to have something to prevent the pregnancy. So typically there are two emergency contraceptive pills available. One is uh, ulipristal or other one is progesterone, which is levonorgestrel, which are typically called as a morning after pill and need to be taken within 72 hours after unprotected sexual intercourse. Another method of emergency contraception is intrauterine device. And there are some places like Shine SA in South Australia, they can help you in those situations. Mm. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend women relying on the emergency contraception as their only form of contraceptive, but it's good to know that it exists and also that you don't need a prescription so that you can go straight to the pharmacy. And depending when that last unprotected sex was, uh, the pharmacist will recommend either that levonorgestrel pill or the ulipristal, which can be used up to five days after unprotected sex. Having said that, that's really only effective if you haven't yet ovulated. So those pills work to try to delay and prevent ovulation. 
So if a woman has already ovulated, might have missed the chance. That's true. Um, so we still recommend doing another pregnancy test in a few weeks' time just in case. Yeah, and that's a really good point because when the women take these emergency contraceptive pills, it works only if there is no ovulation. Similarly, it changes their periods a little bit as well. Mm. So sometimes they get a bit of a heavy periods so or a bit irregular cycles after that. So it's actually not very reliable method. But as, as, as you mentioned, I just mentioned it's an mm, option. It's very important to be yeah. aware of. And I would just on that note, I think I will ask you a few questions, common questions patients ask me. So uh, first question about the contraceptive pills, quite often patients ask me where to start or how to start mm. the contraceptive pills. So that is a very common question. <laughs> I've, I've got a little device in front of me which shows all the different contraceptive pills. Mm. And it varies a little bit if you're using one of these older or what we call triphasic pills, which are not used very commonly. So I'm not going to go into that. So I generally say to a woman, even though the packet says start in this red zone and wait for your period, if you are not pregnant and there's no chance of pregnancy, you do not need to wait for your period and increase your risk of falling pregnant in that time. You can just start at the top of the packet. Most pill packets will have the days of the week written on the back, Monday, mm. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So we'd say start in the active tablets, which is starting from the top of the packet on whatever day of the week it is and follow that along but it does take seven days before it's providing contraceptive cover. So make sure that you're also using barrier contraception in that time and would recommend that anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, yes, commonly it is suggested from the first day of menstrual period and usually starts in the red area, which helps with the regulation of cycle. But as you mentioned too, for contraception, you can start from the active pills as well. Other common question I get is about the NUVA ring that can they have a sexual intercourse with the ring inside? Mm. So what's your answer for that? Yes, please do leave it in because if you're removing it and then having sex, then you're really going against the uh, the, the idea of how it works. You can, of course, remove it, rinse it, put it back in, and it's still going to be giving you good contraceptive cover, but no need for concern about leaving it in. It's yeah. not going to get in the way. And uh, another question we get commonly that if you forget the pill, Mm. what to do (laughs) so if you forget the pill this changes a little bit depending on how overdue it is and where you are in the packet but if you forget the pill and you realize it's more than 24 hours overdue so say you usually take it at 8 p.m and then the next night comes around you realize oh i didn't take yesterday's pill you should still take it when you remember which means maybe taking two pills that day but if you are in the week leading up to having a period or a withdrawal bleed you should consider skipping that and going straight to the next active packet. And if you're in the week having just had that withdrawal bleed and you've had unprotected sex in that time, that increases your risk of having ovulated. So you should also consider taking the emergency contraceptive pill. If needed. And I think with the contraceptive pills, quite often when patient buys from the pharmacist, they can guide them a little bit as well Mm. where they can start and how they can take it, yeah. And I would recommend all women have an annual review, whether they're on the pill or whatever other contraceptive, just to make sure that they haven't developed any medical risks that would make that contraception unsafe. And it's a good chance to have things like blood pressure checked, which is another important thing for blood pressure to be normal for a woman to be on the pill. If someone's got high blood pressure, we should be treating that first. Yeah, I think that that's a really good point to review it yearly to check if they they need to have a different choice or try mm. different pills or if there is any risk factors to that. Yeah. Another common question about the pill, which might be a nice chance to say it now, is, is it affecting a woman's fertility long term? Oh, yes. 
What would you say to that, Preetam? So I usually say that it won't affect. So it is 99% effective when you're taking it. But once you stop the pills, we usually think that you are, you should your fertility should come back. Having said that, sometimes after stopping pill, it takes some time for your natural cycle to come back. So we call it as a sometimes you may get post-pill amenorrhea or bit delayed cycle. So I usually say by six months, if they're not having regular cycles, they may need to investigate because there may be some underlying issue which was not there last, not investigated before. Mm. But there is no problem in fertility because of taking pills. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. So then moving on to long-acting reversible contraceptives or LARCs. So I'm going to start with the DEPO. Now the DEPO is an intramuscular injection. So often it's given in the deltoid muscle of the arm, like the shoulder area, a bit like a vaccine, um, which is given every 12 weeks. It can be given up to two weeks early or two weeks late, but it is very important that it is on that regular routine. Otherwise, it's not an effective contraceptive. And now with perfect use, meaning it's always given on time, that has 99% effect at preventing pregnancy. And even with typical use, meaning sometimes it's a little bit late, it's still 97% effective. So it's a very good contraceptive. It works by suppressing ovulation. And, And one of the other advantages about the depot is after you've had the first about two injections, it tends to lead to no bleeds. So amenorrhea, no periods. Um, And that can be a real benefit for some women. But the downsides, you know, some women do notice it's a big dose of progesterone. So it can cause progesterone or progesterogenic side effects like mood changes can also be associated with weight gain for some women. And if used for many, many years, and I'm talking five to 10 years, it can sometimes start affecting bone density. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's something that we might consider screening with a bone density test. Yeah. I think that like with the continuous use of Dipoprovera, that's the main thing we get worried about is risk of osteoporosis mm. and bone density. Other thing I get a bit worried about Dipoprovera in young patient is sometimes after stopping Dipoprovera injection, it may take up to 18 months mm. for their periods to come back and their fertility to come back. Like we were discussing about fertility before. So if someone is looking for pregnancy, then probably need to keep that in mind that may take time to return Definitely. yeah and that's really the main contraceptive where that is a big risk that it can cause delayed return to natural fertility and i generally say yeah up to a year or sometimes a little bit longer so um as long as women are aware of that when considering it as an option yeah that's true another long-term uh, reversible contraceptive so or temporary contraceptive options we talk about is implanon when we talk about dipoprovera implanon mini pills these are all only progesterone options. So they are good for those who have a uh, risk factors like a migraine headache or risk of uh, high blood pressure or risk of blood clots or family history of cancer or something. They can all choose these options. Uh, advantage with implanon compared to Dipoprovera is the amount of hormone going in, your, in their body is much less. Other advantage quite often women find with implanon is that it goes in the arm. So it is like a set and forget. If it works for them, it works for three years. They will need to go to their healthcare provider like Women's Health GP or gynecologist who can give them a prescription and then have an insertion underneath the skin. So it is designed in a way that it will slowly release progesterone hormone in their bloodstream and that will cause a bit of a changes in the feedback loops and cause changes in the cervical mucus as well as lining of the uterus and that will prevent fertility. In patients 
with the implanon around one in five patients will have no periods. One of the common side effects with the long-term contraceptive options is irregular periods. So about three in five women with the implanon can get irregular periods. So mm -hmm. what it means is sometimes they will have a spotting for 10 days or bleeding for 10 days or period like bleeding for two weeks. And I usually say that it will get better with the time, but some patients don't like it. And if they don't like it, they can remove the implanon. So that's not a problem. Uh, but having said that, about 10% can sometimes have heavy periods. The amount of hormone is less, but some patients are very sensitive. So they may get sometimes better for mood changes. About 10 to 12% can get some mood changes. Mm -hmm. But we say that it is usually 99% effective as um, contraception and it works for three years. Mm. And it's very easy to insert. So it's just a small amount of local anesthetic, which is uh, put into this inner forearm, uh, inner upper arm area. And then the device is loaded in like a trocar. So it's very easy for the doctor who's inserting it to insert it. So it's just under the skin. And a woman should be able to feel it herself with a finger. Otherwise, it might be a little bit too deep and can be a bit trickier to remove. It's about the size of a matchstick. Um, so not usually noticeable unless you're going feeling for it. And in some women who need to hide their contraception, perhaps due to domestic violence, it can be inserted elsewhere in the body and sometimes it can put in the be put in the buttock crease as well. But generally, it's the upper arm area. Mm, that's very interesting, yeah. So then moving on to the intrauterine devices or IUDs. So in this group is hormonal IUDs or non-hormonal IUDs. Um, I might chat through the hormonal first. So in Australia, there's two hormonal IUDs available, which is the Marina and the newer Kylina. So they're both, as you've been saying, progesterone only, levonorgestrel, um, and work by thinning the lining of the uterus as well as thickening that mucus plug so that sperm can't get through. The difference between the Marina and the Kylina is the dose and so the strength of that effect on the lining. So the Marina generally has a very good effect at suppressing the growth of the lining in the uterus and most women or many women with the Marina will have only very light spotting or no periods at all once it's been in for 6 to 12 months. The Kylina is a lower dose and so whilst it still does have an effect on the lining of the uterus, most women will still have a, a monthly bleed but it might be a little bit lighter than otherwise. So it's a very effective contraception, so 99.6% effective over five years which is highly effective and a good set and forget option. And a lot of women really like those options because of the effect on period control. But like anything, it can have its downsides. And um, some women come in having heard of horror stories. So, <laughs> I mean, the insertion process, I guess, could be viewed as a bit of a downside because it is uh, a bit uncomfortable to have inserted. It's generally like a pap smear procedure to have it inserted um, and then a woman will generally have some mild cramping whilst the device is inserted. The Kylina is slightly thinner than, Mar than the Marina, so it's been marketed for younger women, particularly who haven't had children. But either Marina or Kylina is completely fine, whether a woman would have had children or not. And actually, the other marketing strategies behind the Kylina, which is saying less risk of side effects, like hormonal side effects, when you look at the data, it's very similar that hormonal side effects with either of these hormonal IUDs is very rare. And that's because the dose is so low, it really only has to be acting locally. 
Um, so those are great options if women have a history of like heavy or painful cycles or adenomyosis, endometriosis. Definitely. So Mirena, like even if it was designed for contraception, has got a lot of non-contraceptive benefits, particularly it is used as a first line of management for heavy menstrual bleeding, also useful for pelvic pains. Mm. And if it works, if it works for you, it works for five years. So uh, definitely um, like a set and forget sort of thing. So you don't have to think about it. I would say it is also economical uh, mm. compared to other contraceptive options and uh, environment friendly too. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. I think if you look at the cost of contraception over five years, probably that Marina IUD would be number one winner. Yeah. And it would save you the cost of menstrual products as well. <laughs> yeah, so it's a really good contraceptive options. And as you said, putting in Marina, it's a procedure. Uh, so you again, you need to see a women's health GP or doctor and need to have a small procedure in the clinic to put Marina in. But as I said to you before, if it works for you, it works for five years. So mm. it's a really good option. Now, when we are talking about intrauterine devices, we mentioned about the hormonal options like Mirena and Kylina, and they are very popular and very effective. Um, but there is one non-hormonal option as well, which has been in market for a very long time, which is copper-based intrauterine device. It comes in a multi-load copper IUD or just a copper tea sort of design. So design-wise, it is very similar, uh, like a T-shaped design. With On its stem, it has got copper hormone. Mm. And what it is, does is it changes the environment inside the uterus and makes it really hostile for any pregnancy. So if, if we compare with the Mirena, advantage, like a procedure-wise, it is very similar to put copper IUD in in the, in the outpatient rooms or in the theater. And it works like the different depending on the how much copper load is there it can work for five to ten years mm. so sometimes you may see a patient who has been having copper iod for almost 10 years and it does not have any hormones so those who can't take hormones for some other reasons or have some hormonal side effect that's a good option but the disadvantage with the copper iod is because of the changed environment it causes quite heavy periods so those who have a fibroid uterus or heavy period this is not a suitable option because that can make periods really heavy mm. yeah yeah i think copper iud is also a really good option like you mentioned earlier <laughs> um, because it can be inserted straight after unprotected sex and as you said because it creates that hostile environment it will not allow a pregnancy to implant even if you have had a f fertilized egg so yeah i think that's a really good summary of those contraceptive options so we've got barrier contraception which is condom generally great for STI protection and definitely recommended for that um, and reasonable effect for contraception but um, it has an up to 15-20% failure rate with typical use than the combined oral contraceptive pill or the mini pill, the progesterone only pills which are fantastic for women who like the idea of a daily tablet that they are in control of um, and like the idea of manipulating their cycle and then these fantastic set and forget options, which are available for women of, of any age, whether you've had children or not, which is sometimes a bit of a myth about the IUDs particularly. So definitely there's more than just the pill out there and it's worthwhile having a, a definitely in-depth And uh, just on that note, I would just um, like to say with the Mirena as well, that it won't affect the fertility. So mm -hmm. once Mirena is out, it should be able to get pregnant. Only risk is if someone has a sexually transmitted infection while having intrauterine device, then we are a bit worried that infection can travel to the tubes and can cause problem there. 
Another thing patients get worried about is if it will increase the chances of ectopic pregnancy or pregnancy in the tube. But because with the contraception, the pregnancy chances of pregnancy are very, very reduced. Chance of ectopic pregnancy is reduced as well. Mm. So that's important. And when we were talking about non-hormonal contraceptive options, like we mentioned, like barrier method and the copper IUD, another very important contraceptive options I would like to mention, which is permanent method of contraception. Mm. So typically we call it as a tubal sterilization or having clips on the tube for women and vasectomy, or typically people call it as a snip. <laughs> <laughs> and generally, if, I, if a woman comes in to see me or a couple comes to see me, as their GP to discuss permanent sterilization. The risks to a man going through a vasectomy are much less than the risk to a woman having tubal surgery. And because it's a much smaller operation, a vasectomy is actually done as a day procedure and can be done awake, just under general anesthetic. Uh, yeah, local, local anesthetic, sorry. Yeah. So generally, if it's a choice of either or, we'd recommend vasectomy rather than a woman going through tubal ligation. So just to note that the vasectomy, what we mean is that the tube which goes from testes to the penis, there is like a small cut and tie. So mm -hmm. that is separated. So sperms don't travel to the penis. Uh, it won't affect any manhood or anything. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so no. And as you said, it's much easier operation. Compared to that, what we, what we call as a tubal ligation or tubal sterilization is a keyhole surgery. So women need to be having general anesthesia, have a small cut at their belly button, having camera inside. And then we have a look at their tubes and put the clips on them or sometimes we cut and tie the tubes or in some occasions we take the tubes out completely. This is considered as a permanent method of contraception. So someone who have completed their family or doesn't want to have children at all, this would be an option. But having said that, it won't give them uh, any non-contraceptive benefits, which we mentioned before, uh, like prevention from sexually transmitted infection or regulation of their cycles or heavy periods and things. Yeah. Hmm. So I think as a bit of a summary to whoever's listening, if you've got questions about contraception, do make sure that you make an appointment with your GP or gynecologist to chat through all of those options in detail and see what might be the right fit for you. And that can change over time as well. So yeah, absolutely. So there is a lot of research going on in this space and we hope that there will be male pill. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> they will trust them to take it though. <laughs> no, so maybe there would be some uh, non-hormonal, non-contraceptive, uh, non-hormonal contraceptive options available. So a lot of research going in this place. I would also like to mention that uh, like if someone listening to this podcast want to have a bit more information uh, on the internet there's a lot of information from the website like a shine essay or um, a reproductive health new south wales or victoria which are easily available and they can even make a phone call and ask about a bit more information before coming to make an appointment mm, so they definitely. can make a informed choice yeah. and we usually give a lot of written information out to women as well just so that they've got that those extra tools to really consider what might be the right fit for them I think the Royal Women's Hospital in Victoria is another really good website where they've got some great fact sheets about choices in contraception going into it in a bit more detail. And so if you do have any questions, please don't hesitate to message us on our Instagram or to email us at our email, which is fullcirclewomenshealthpodcast at gmail.com. And we're looking forward to having further chats about this in more depth in future episodes. But I think that's a good place to leave it today. Yeah, thank you. <laughs>